Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Philip Lee, one of Ireland's fastest growing corporate law firms and expert advisors at the heart of the Dublin and London startup, fintech, and crypto communities. Matthew Graham is the CEO of Sino Global Capital, we're providing strategic investment to best-in-class companies that are moving the blockchain and digital assets ecosystems forward, and then help them to thrive in the Asia market. Matthew joins me on this episode originally recorded as part of the Techstars Web3 Convo series of Fireside Chats, powered by the Launchable Web3 Techstars Accelerator program in Ireland. Matthew has seven years of mainland China investment banking experience, with a focus on representing international technology companies in China for strategic partnership and investment. He's been involved in blockchain since 2013, first slowly, then all at once. As managing partner of Sino Global's Liquid Value Blockchain Fund, Matthew invests in blockchain technology with strategic relevance for China. In this episode, Matthew, or Matty as most people know him, shares insights on his first priority to help companies before investing in high-conviction, high-quality projects, guiding founders into the unique yet massive markets of China and India, making his hobby his job, and what makes a great Web3 project. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Hey, everyone. Hope you're all doing well this morning, this evening, this afternoon, wherever you may be in the world. I'm Pete Townsend. I lead the Launchpool Web3 Techstars Accelerator Program. I'm here with Matthew Graham from Sino Global Capital. Great to have you here, Maddie. Can I call you Maddie? Sure can, yeah. Pleased <laughs> to be here. Thanks. Great to have you. So just to give everybody some context here of what we're up to, as a Web3 space is moving at a really, really quick pace, we wanted the Web3 founder community to have the benefit of the insight from some of the leading minds globally, i.e. bring the mind of the mentor to the masses before we even kick off the Launchable Web3 Techstars Accelerator program here in Dublin in April of 2022. Matty is the CEO of Sino Global Capital who provides strategic investment to best-in-class companies that are moving the blockchain and digital assets ecosystems forward, and they help them to thrive in the Asia market, the Asia and India market now as well. And just a few notables on what Maddie's up to. A few weeks ago, announced the launch of their $200 million fund with backing from FTX as co-GP. And I've got some ideas to come back to on that, Maddie. But listen, why don't we dig right in? Can you share your backstory with us and tell us how you got to this point? Yeah. Sure. So my backstory is sell-side investment banking with a China focus. And so I've been based in China for, for about a decade now, almost a decade now, actually. And uh, so first I worked at a Beijing-based VC and basically led their international arm. Subsequently, I opened my own shop. So as a tech banker, the concept was always that very naturally and organically under my own shop, Sino, that we would develop one or more sector competencies. And very quickly that became crypto. So I had been involved in crypto as a hobbyist pretty early and had first tried to integrate it into my professional life as early as 2013. But really it was that Ethereum aha moment where I realized that this is uh, now something so much bigger than some cool fucking technology with some, some dope people. And that now this is actually you know, a thousand or even 10,000 times bigger and that the opportunity space is uh, something that could rival even what I had experienced being a little too young to participate in the 1990s in the United States when the internet revolution was basically first when hockey stick 
So that Ethereum moment was an aha moment for me. And at that point, it was clear that I basically needed to drop everything and focus Sino on crypto, which we immediately did. And at that time also, the decision was made to begin focusing on the buy side rather than the sell side. We slowly and steadily began building up a competency, first focusing on secondary market investments, especially at that time in the Ethereum space. And as we built our skills, we began investing in the primary market as well. And it wasn't that long ago, I guess, you know, 2015 yeah. when we started Sino. But in some ways, it was like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of typical of crypto, right? It is. It is. It's like, I, you know, I was joking to somebody this morning that we're, we're, I was yeah, talking yeah. about the accelerator program that, okay, sure. we do two years worth of work in 13 weeks. So yeah. if this is in Web3, is that 14 years worth of work? <laughs> you know? I'm not sure the exact multiplier, but it's something. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Dog years. Web3 years are like dog years, I think. But yeah, I mean, 2014, 2015 was kind of my entry point as well. And then, mm -hmm. but it was really 2018 after that first bull market where the, it was just that big momentum of building that in 2018, it kind of went a little bit quiet, not necessarily in, in this community, but from global perspective. And then folks said, all right, actually this long tail that we had coming out of the traditional finance and the creation of Bitcoin and then, you know, in 2009 and then going to 2015, there's a lot of financial minds around this. Yeah. And it started branching out in 2018 to be a lot more broad in terms of the applications of that. Can you just talk about maybe how you think about, you know, since 2018 to 2021 and how things have moved for you guys since then? Yeah, sure. So the first thing that I would say is that uh, 2018 was amazing. I, I hate 2017 was my least favorite year. Because yeah. it was all kinds of bullshit and LARPers and projects that didn't make sense. And everybody was way too excited. And, and there was a lot of crap. I, I hated 2017. But 2018 was amazing because it was serious people focusing on serious things that weren't like looking at the price every two fucking seconds. And also, to me, that was an extraordinarily important and very pivotal time. That was the, the first time we went from a few people here and there to now there's a, a very serious entry of world-class people into the space, whether on the genius developer side or the institutional side. So I think of it kind of as, you know, first we had, and, and it, it, it's extremely important to not say this in, in, in a way that can be misconstrued because the, the revolutionaries are actually the most important, right? And, and so the people that were early in the space, we, we owe a tremendous debt to them because they fucking did this, not, you know, people that came later, to be honest. But it, it you know, it went from revolutionaries to, you know, cowboys and, and speculators. And so, but 2018 and 2019 were a special time because a, a, a different type of, of, of person started entering the space, a little more institutional, a little more buttoned down. And I, I think actually this is quite healthy and, and it's a necessary stage for crypto becoming what I think it ultimately will do, which is again, you know, what I alluded to earlier about being the, the most significant technological wave of change since the internet. And I don't mean like the internet with like Facebook and all that crap. I mean like the fucking internet. Yeah. So you know, I, I really think we're talking about something that significant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I've been trying to think about this recently as 
okay, the Industrial Revolution era from 1850s, 1860s forward, that wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a revolution in the United States back in the 1770s, right? And that you needed that revolution. So we needed the creation of the internet for this to actually happen. What we're doing. Exactly, yeah. Right, and we're and, kind of in the Industrial Revolution period. Yeah, that's, that's a super interesting point. I, I had not previously thought about it in that way, but obviously we're building on the foundation of the internet in, in many or, or maybe most ways. Uh, but if you think about it in terms of the significance of the change that we are at the beginning stages of affecting, I, I think it is comparable to the wave of change that we saw, again, using, you know, United States states, I'm an American, in, in, in the 90s. And, and of course, ARPANET, et cetera, extended. It's the same thing, right? So ARPANET, you know, it was a silver, yeah. BBS, Prodigy, CopyServe, yeah. and then boom, hockey stick, right? So it's the same thing here where we've been doing this for a while now, but now is the phase where like all of a sudden, 90s in, in the United States, it was, right? Obviously, again, using an American, right? U.S. Yep. paradigm. But all of a sudden, it's like fucking Bezos is here. And in a couple of years, the Google guys will be dropping, you know, finishing their PhD or dropping out. I forget which was. Yeah. Right. Like this is like really fucking serious now. So I, I think that's kind of where we're at. And, and it's a very special time in, in my view. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. To continue on this thread, Maddie, when you and I first spoke, you said that your first priority is to help companies. And because you do that, it makes a lot of sense for the founders to have Sano Global on their cap table. Okay. Rather than the approach of making investment first and then being helpful after the check. And it seems like a small difference when you say it out loud, but I know that there are two different approaches, especially in terms of whose side of the table that you're on. Can you talk about how your approach makes sure. you guys a, a unique strategic investor? Sure. So I, I, I think about it like this. Um, so I'm very greedy, but I'm long-term greedy. And I mean like really fucking long-term. Yeah. So that, that's an expression that came famously from Goldman Sachs. And I, I really like it. And I really think in that way, I really try to think in terms of 10 year greediness or 20 year greediness rather than three months or a year or two years. And so here's what is important to me as I build Sino. Number one, we need to have a unique value proposition, which I think we definitely have. So when Sino is on the cap table, we have dedicated teams to service portfolio companies in both greater China and also India, which are very famously two of the most important markets in crypto, but also two of the most impenetrable and idiosyncratic for even the very best blockchain companies in the world. So we're able to help in those two enormous markets in a very deep and hands-on way. Number two is that increasingly there's a signaling effect with having Sino on the cap table, which I think will, will continue to, to deepen over time, where people know that we only invest in stuff that we fucking love. I just, if I, if I feel lukewarm, we just don't do it. I don't even care if it'll make money. We're not going to fucking do it. We only do shit if we really fucking love it and we do it in a very long-term and deep way. We look for people like Sam SPF. We look for people like Anatoly. We look for people like the, the, the Wintermute team, which is also a portfolio company and they're just fucking studs. The Layer Zero guys, which is just an amazing project that I think is going to be blockbuster news. So we look for this type of very unique, extraordinarily talented person, but it also has to be the type of person that we have a, a high touch, high trust relationship with 
so that we can do things, but you know, not even like this year or next year, but potentially for years and years and years. And we look to, to, to do those things and only those things. So increasingly there's a signaling effect where people, they see Sino on the cap table and they, they know that that means Sino really fucking loves this project. It's not just some bullshit where we're going to add crap on retail in like a month or two, or, you know, we're just trying to do whatever. We just don't do that. So I think that becomes important over time. And then number three, what's happening, especially because of number one, but uh, also point number two, is that increasingly our portfolio companies are driving enormous deal flow. Two of our most recent deals, um, I, I believe we landed very specifically because I always say, look, we very strongly encourage you to reach out to existing Sino portfolio companies. You can contact, they're all on our website, contact any of them direct, except for, I mean, there's some that are not yet announced for, for a variety of reasons, but they will be, right? So they're on, on our website. We're never going to take them off our website. They're always all going to be there. We don't play any games with that. So just reach out directly to anyone or we can bridge you to them and just be like, hey, you know, Sino was your investor. How'd that go? What was that like? What was the relationship like? And so increasingly prospective portfolio companies are, are doing that. And recently we won two deals because when they reached out to existing portfolio companies to start projects, the, the response was basically like, fuck, of course you need Sino on your cap table. Or you, you'd be fucking nuts to not have Sino on your cap table. They will battle for you in the trenches every day. They will fight for you in China and India. They do things in, in the long-term right way. So basically I'm trying to just build this wheelhouse. You know, money's cheap. There's a lot, everybody's fucking money. So the, 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 the projects have, have tons of options. And so it's important to me that they think of us first because they know we're going to fucking fight for them. And we know that we're going to be able to add tremendous value to their project. And so that's what I mean by being long-term greedy to be able to create this, this, this reputation through consistent, excellent action. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I love it. When, when you and I first, sorry, I didn't interrupt, but as part of that, I, I, every week, I turn down things that would be positive EV if EV is measured by short term, you know, making some fucking bullshit money. And I do that because I, I'm focused on 10 year plus or minus EV. And so I, I, that's why we don't do any projects that I feel as like they're, they're fundamentally antisocial or don't represent crypto ethos or things like that. And, and, and so it's just, it's, this is just the sign style and it's enormously important. Sorry to interrupt you. Sometimes I get very frequently, I get too excited. So no, no, keep the excitement going, man. And, and interrupt wherever you can, because <laughs> it's the passion that comes out. That's, that's critical to, to this whole space. Yeah. It makes it a hell of a lot more fun too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're, you're really digging into doing cool shit with cool people for the long term here. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Which that's kind of my next question. And, and, and when you told me about this, when we first spoke, Maddie, and you talked about yeah. Sam at FTX and. You know, I could just imagine the two of you guys sitting there and, and just hashing this out and saying, okay, let's just, let, let's just do this, right? And that, you know, so you've got cool shit with cool people. And then when you talk to investors and you start sharing with them, okay, well, yeah, we do high conviction, high quality projects. To me, that's just two different ways of saying the same thing. There is a linkage between the two that what the investors sign up for and then, you know, how you then actually execute that yeah. and, and carry that out. It really feels like, and I heard you say this on the Pomp podcast, that, 
you know, you originally tried to make your hobby your job. You <laughs> kind of pivoted away from that to, you know, five, six years ago to figure this out all over again. And now it sounds like you have actually made your hobby your job. Doing <laughs> people from your perspective, but from the investor's perspective, it's high quality, high conviction projects. My, my hobby is absolutely my job. It's 100% true. There's, there's basically like 100% overlap there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and does your hobby now take up a lot of hours of your day? I mean, I, I, I spend, I, I spend 98% of my time. Well, cause so I wish I could travel internationally. I would love to be able to travel internationally. But the problem is that with mainland China, you got a quarantine on the way back, which is, for example, why I didn't go to Lisbon. And so it's a three week quarantine. And it's not like you can like choose a hotel. They put you in like, some horrible hotel and, yeah. and you stay there in a small room for two or three weeks and they just like slide food under the door. That's like <laughs> way too intense for me. So I would love to, to travel internationally. But anyway, so the, what I was, was going to say though is I, you know, I, I spent, you know, basically, you know, 98% of my, my time when I'm not sleeping, you know, it, in my, my home office on Zoom calls, things like that. I mean, this is, this is my life. Yeah, that, that's true. The other yeah. 2% probably at the gym. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that's good. You got to gotta work those, work those pressure points out, right? I w wanted to dig in a little bit as well, Maddie, to your view really on China and India, because I know that's big to what Sino are doing. What's the first thing you say to a Western Web3 founder to open their eyes to the opportunity they have in China and in India? Sure. So obviously China is enormously, especially enormously complicated because of all the recent flood and there's so many things that people don't understand. But I think one point that I make is that unlike in the United States, for example, where I'm from, in a country like China, you, you have to really understand what the reality on the ground is. Because unlike in the United States, where the what's on paper is basically you know, more or less the reality on the ground in China, a lot of the time it's totally fucking different. And then the second thing to understand about China is that from a Western perspective, we're used to a very small gray area and, you know, things are like, okay or not legal or legal We're in China, in fact, almost by design, but also culturally for a variety of reasons, let's say the gray area is enormous. So you have to understand that, you know, many people live every day in the gray area in, in a country like China, India, very similar as well. So there's some paradigms that, that are really important in terms of understanding China. But then to talk more specifically, putting mining aside, because mining is a special case, I would, I would say this is just me explaining the, the reality of what we see. Number one is that from the government's perspective, you know, institutional and ultra high net worth, many of whom already have money offshore. I mean, this is, this is basically something that is going to continue. Number two, retail, they, they very much don't want heavy participation for retail. But I, I, I think that Chinese are culturally extremely good at getting done what they want to get done. The best in the world at just flowing like water around whatever obstacle to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, it's an open question you know, on a long-term basis, how much impact 
the, these types of policy regimes would, would have. I, I think the next thing I would mention is that we, we have a fairly long history in crypto now of sudden China crackdowns followed by slowly loosening up. So based on the fact that we've done this a number of times right now, I, I think I would kind of bet on that as the base case. And then the, the final thing I would mention is that I think is super important to understanding where China is, in, you know, kind of right now is that actually in, in many ways, the recent issues or developments have been kind of a wake up call for China crypto. It's not that they weren't paying attention to DeFi, but now they view it as mission critical because there's a, a very clear understanding of the way that centralized exchanges and all kinds of centralized operations are you know, choke points. So it, 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 I think it's very fair to say that it has been bullish for DeFi. Uh, so those are kind of the key things I would mention about China. And, you know, there are a million more and we could talk about this literally for days. But I, I think I would highlight those. For India, so the first thing is that it, it looked for a period of time as if there was a possibility of regulations trending in a bearish way in India. But it seems quite clear that what we're looking at is more neutral or mildly positive. That's what I would view as a material change in terms of the regulatory climate in India. The second thing that I would highlight is that India has some unique characteristics that are especially favorable for crypto. India is one of the youngest countries in the world. So crypto skews very, very young, I think, as we know, right? And I, I don't remember offhand, I never remember offhand for some reason, but the percentage of people in India between the age of like 18 and, you know, 29, I, I, it just would blow your mind. It's a very, very young country. And I think that's, that's super relevant. Next, India very famously has a slice of the population that consists of enormously talented engineers and computer scientists. The IIT educational system is very competitive with even the best engineering schools in the world, up to and including schools like MIT, which is which is one reason why scientists and, and computer scientists, engineers, et cetera, are so overrepresented in Silicon Valley. Mm. So uh, I think this is additionally something that is extremely favorable for crypto. And then third, just by observation, almost by any metric, we're seeing year-over-year -year growth of 7x, 8x in India, we're already talking about uh, very healthy tens of millions of people. So I, I think it's very much on the table that we could be talking about hundreds of millions of people in India being actively involved in crypto within a year or two. I think that's on the table. So this becomes enormously significant if you take all those factors together. I mean, already you look at Polygon, which has had an enormous impact. And, and I think we're, we're going to see a lot more headline projects coming out of India. And I think we're going to see many more best-of-breed international projects, the kind of projects that are Sino-material, that are going to realize that India is very much core to their growth strategies. That, that's what, very much what I anticipate. Okay. I, I really view that as the base case, not the, not the, bull, not, not the optimistic case. Mm -hmm. I view that as India base case. I hear you. It's it, such, such a big, big opportunity. And that's yeah. part of your key value prop, right? As yep. I know, is that you help people get into those markets. Yes, absolutely. We brought on two people in Bangalore to service portfolio companies, and we are very aggressively looking to expand on that. And across the entire Sino team, my target is always at a minimum to be spending half of our time servicing portfolio companies. 
existing portfolio companies, that is to say, because I view that as our real job, not cutting checks. And so I want to be known as much for India as China within a year. And, and that's for, for servicing portfolio companies. It's also for investing in India projects. We, as of a week or two ago, we had one portfolio in company in India. It's now three. We have two unannounced and very, very substantial investments in almost breathtakingly high quality projects that I'm, I'm super excited to announce in a couple of weeks, but I, I can't yet. <laughs> but so we, we even though I, I won't tweet about Bollywood like every day <laughs> or, or, you know, show off my new cricket jersey. Yeah. Uh, we're deadly serious about about India. Could could not be more serious about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a country I've never been to, but I've eaten yeah. enough of their food where I feel like yeah. I've been there. Uh, and, it, and it's amazing the diaspora around the world where you can just find amazing Indian restaurants in the most unexpected. Oh, places. great. Yeah, yeah. You know, unlike Chinese food in the United States. No, no, it's no good. It's no good at all. It's not good at all. No, I, I would agree. I would agree. Hey, everyone. This is Pete. Let me tell you about the folks at Philip Lee. A few years ago, I was at my first venture capital industry dinner in Dublin, and honestly, I felt a bit lost. I bumped into Andrew Tizali, one of the partners at Philip Lee. He bought me a pint and introduced me to the team, and they took me under their wing. That take-you-under-their-wing approach has been what I've heard consistently from fintech and crypto startups who I know have worked with Philip Lee in Dublin and London to help them wrap the right legal framework around their business, fundraising, and regulatory needs. And I can't recommend them enough. Get in touch with the team at philiplee.ie or on moneyneversleeps.ie slash philiplee to learn more. Thinking about, you know, going a bit to, to more of a macro view, just really around Web3, yeah. Maddie. what do you think are some of the leading indicators of what makes a great Web3 project? So I think there's, I mean, it all starts with definitions and there are a lot of different definitions for Web3 that are floating around, but I have a very specific way I like to think about it, which is almost personal to me, actually. I, I felt very viscerally as uh, a young man, how promising the internet was. And just that, that very hopeful feeling that it could be a profound positive force for change. And I saw that very vividly step-by-step step, be basically betrayed. And, and, you know, we ended up where we are today with, you know, Facebook and all this fucking crap. And, and so to me, Web3 is a very profound opportunity to right those mistakes and return to what we were uh, trying to do with the internet and what we all believed in. So that's my, you know, a lot of, a lot of definitions for Web3, but that's my personal definition that I start with. Okay. Um, and so decentralization. And, you know, adding, there's all different ways to think about Web3, but, but to me, the ethos, and, and you know, I, I know some people, maybe not everyone share that ethos, but to me, that, that's what uh, Web3 should be, and I, I hope will become. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and, and when, you, when you have those conversations with yeah. founders, with the, with the founding teams of projects, yeah. what are some of the tells that they are on the same page? with you as that? Well, that's a great question. That's a great question. I'd look very carefully for that. 
Actually. So, I, I mean, I, we, before we make an, an, an investment, we make, especially because we're, we're at, at our core bottom-up investors. So we do spend a lot of time really getting to know founders in, in a very deep way. So these conversations, I think, kind of naturally happen about what people think is important. And, you know, as part of, I mean, they're talking about their vision. It's like they're talking about the kid that they want to have or just had and, and want to raise that. Well, these conversations very naturally tend to flow in that direction, but I, I definitely could tell you that I pay very, very close attention to that. And that's for a variety of reasons, but, you know, for sure, one of them is I'm not going to invest in some fucking orb that's going to scan your iris <laughs> and send data to God, you know, probably won't, but, you know, maybe will send your data to God, God knows where and all, all this crap We just... It's very important to me that we don't do stuff like that. So I, I pay enormously close attention to these conversations. I think ultimately it's a, a, a feel, it's an art pattern matching, but yeah, it's really fucking important. Well, it comes back to doing cool shit with cool people for the long term. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, for, that people that are doing stuff for the right reasons. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of folks talk about how you know, the internet was not created to be a monetary system back in the 90s and that we needed to do a lot of shoehorning and, you know, band-aids and bubblegum and things such as, you know, what happened in Web 2.0 came from that. And now we've kind of taken this whole business model of advertising the hell out of web pages yeah. to the so, nth degree, right? I, I think at a... I think that, so it's, it's, it's hard to discuss because we're discussing on kind of multiple levels at once. But look, one of the things that um, went wrong with the internet is a surveillance economy, which is focused on, you know, monetizing, advertising. The, the, I, I think for sure part of the problem is that there were very limited ways to create a, a capitalist engine. I, I mean, I'm... Mm. I'm capitalist, right? Like yep. you need to create a capitalist engine around this, right? And there were a very limited number of business models available. And unfortunately, by far and away, the most successful business model was data extraction and surveillance economy and monetizing eyeballs and, and all this advertising bullshit. And, and also create a, a manipulation engine to get people all fucking excited and hating each other and spreading yeah. disinformation and all this crap. So I think that's definitely a major part of where we went wrong. Yeah. Um, because of the limited range of business models that are, that are available in, in web two. So certainly web three expands this range of models. And in my view, it does allow for more healthy, sustainable models, some of which we're already trying, but I think especially most of them are, are still to come. There's been, this is still really an experimentation phase in many ways. We're learning what works and doesn't work. But we have a whole fucking menu now of, of stuff that we can do as opposed to before when we had a, a little slip of paper that said surveillance economy. Yeah. And that, yeah. That's what people did. The people were like, that were like, fuck that, that's bullshit. They, they didn't make it. And that kind of sucks. You know, where's Tom's from MySpace? You know what I mean? Like, that's probably not the best example because there are a lot of factors that led to Facebook kicking MySpace's ass. But, but you know, the, the people that made it on the biggest scale 
are the people that ultimately decided that they would pay that price. Actually, not that they would pay that price, but that would they would make everyone else pay that price. Absolutely. Right? I mean, even Google dropped Don't Be Evil from their corporate motto uh, a few years ago, right? Like, what the fuck happened to us all? Yeah. So I, I, I really view Web3 as a way to go back and re rewrite this. And I, I want to support people that want to fucking do that because I think it's fucking important. It is. It is. And just yeah, thank you for bearing with me as I went down <laughs> unique questioning path to try to draw this parallel. No, it's totally cool. Yeah. I, I between, between, the rap like this. between your kind of view on, you know, what's happened since the 90s and how that translates into what you look for now from people. Yeah. Right. Because it's people at the core yeah. of all this that are doing this. And yeah, you know, absolutely. The, the tells like we talked about. And yeah. are there those signs that founders are actually plugged into this mindset? I, I think there are. I think it becomes pattern matching. It's yeah. like you're developing a database. And, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, I just, maybe because I'm a little on a spectrum, so I just collect more and more data about different types of people mm-hmm. while I work to get it over time. But, you know, it's pattern matching and, and it's an art, it's touch and feel. But then also, like, we do uh, a hell of a lot of due diligence where, you know, people know that like, if we're going to invest in them, I'm, I'm definitely going to be asking around about them and being like, Hey, you know, talk to me about, Frank, you know, Frank, Mark, whatever. Talk to me. Is, is Mark a good guy? What's Mark like? Is he going to fucking bride or is he going to quit after six yeah. months or you get, get bored or whatever? What's, what's this guy all about? You know, I get real personal to be honest. And like, uh, we do a lot of that asking around. There are different types of ways to make this analysis. I, I definitely think what or through the direct conversations and you know what do they call it thin slicing or whatever but then also you got to do thick slicing i guess and 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 we do a lot of you know asking around like years ago you worked with 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 paul at you know i don't know fucking apple or whatever and you know you guys were on the same team together you know oh this is this is sino and we, we think paul's a stud but we want to learn more about what kind of, what kind of person he is. And, and, you know, can you tell me what it was like being on a team with them? Like, well, we definitely do a lot of that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. It does, it's not like we're going to do shit together for three months. I mean, the, the, the base case is that we, we are on the cap table. And so like, we're going to be hanging out for years. So I got to fucking know you. <laughs> it's like, we're like buying a vacation house together or something. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like we're, you know, have a dinner real quick. No, we're buying a vacation house together and, you know, like we're on the mortgage together and, you know, we're, we're going to be, this is a long-term thing. We got to get to fucking know each other, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah. It's it's different. That's, that's what, I I don't even know how other people do it. That's what we do. Yeah. No, you, you got to, you got to, like say, if, if you can't imagine yourself working with someone for 10 years, don't work with yeah. them for 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I very much believe that. Absolutely. Cool. We got some good questions popping in from the crowd here. First one from Laura Walsh from Launchpool, our uh, partner for the Accelerator. Great. What do you think is next? Right now is Metaverse slash AI, machine learning, NFTs. What's the next step? I, I think that, that the way to win that game is not to play, frankly. There are like five people in the world that are like actual visionaries. Maybe Balaji is one of them. I, I, am, I don't view myself as one of them. I think it's a very, very difficult game to, to, to play, much less win. 
So that's one of the reasons we're bottom-up investors rather than top-down. Pace of change in the world has never been greater than it is today. And there's nowhere where the pace of change is greater than in crypto. So I, I think there's a very real danger of trying to play visionary and fool yourself into thinking that you can do it. And you definitely basically can't unless you're biology, maybe. And when you start to head down that path, you, you start to get trapped in your own narratives and way, rigid ways of thinking. And then I think you, there's a very great danger that you could miss the new and vast opportunities that are right in front of you. So I, I think of this almost like a, a psychological trap. And so I choose not to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes sense because, you know, people yeah. throw up these trends, these buzzwords, but it comes down to, like you said, can you grind it out for the long term? Because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I think yeah. we'll, we'll probably look back on this period in 20 years and say, what the heck were these different countries doing banning users of this technology? Another question here it was specific to China that popped up, and we did cover China a bit already, but I think this, this question no a little bit of a different angle. Are you seeing opportunities that are specific to the Chinese market, given its unique characteristics, or are they opportunities that would work outside of greater China as well? That's a good question. I, I think that I would say that it, it varies over time. At the current time, what we're seeing is that it's about localization. So at the current time, it's not so much that the opportunities are fundamentally different, qualitatively different than in Western markets, but it's more about saying, okay, how can we adapt this in a way that is effective for the very specific tastes and, and styles of the, of the local market. So I, I would kind of phrase it in that way. It's not always like that, but at the current time, I, I think that's the best way. I, I think that's where we're at. Okay, cool. And I know you like to talk about SBF, Sandbank yes. at, at FTX, and that I was listening to it. Oh, he, he did the Invest Like the Best podcast recently with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. And it was about an hour long, about halfway through it. But, you know, I know that he's got for, I think he's 27 or 28, maybe 29. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the mindset of a talking about the 17th century, but a 17th century philosopher, right. And that he's yeah. a really deep thinker and he, and, yeah. you know, he demonstrates that on a regular basis. Patrick was asking him about the on-ramps into crypto and Web3. Yeah. Right. And saying, you know, that obviously we can get better on that. But Sam gave an example that really resonated with me, which was, all right, think about traditional finance. Think about yeah. if you want to do one financial transaction in a market. Can you just go onto NASDAQ.com and book a trade? No, yeah. you can't. You know, you got to go to actually open up an e-trade account or Fidelity account, whatever. Okay, the friction, it's just endless do all your AML, KYC, and then all the different parties to get involved in that single trade for, for you to do that? You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, like an example. So I, I, I mentioned a lot in, in other contexts that I always like to think of, of my mom and, and sisters as, as, it, as example users. And the reason why I think they're good examples is because they're, they're, they're all very smart, but not very tech savvy. It's just not what they do. They do other stuff, but very smart. And, and so, but anyway, so, so recently I, I was sending my mom some money and, you know, she, she gets nervous with this tech stuff, right? So she, 
she, she, she didn't want to do crypto. She wanted to do a wire. And I swear to fucking God, the amount of hassle to get one wire to her, it was just unbelievable. And it took like three weeks because it's, you know, an international wire. And then her, she has a local bank. So it went through like intermediary banks, even when it was in the U.S. The whole process, I, I really think, okay, maybe not three weeks, but like two weeks, two to three weeks, right? And it was just a goddamn nightmare. The, the total amount, I'm, I'm notoriously not very patient at all. <laughs> so it, it, like at all. So, I mean, it took, you know, like an hour or two of my, of my time. And it's just to wire money international. I mean, this is like fucking nuts. It is. So, and then, you know, cause, and, and also the reasons, um, why would she was nervous about crypto were also very instructive, I think, because she, she was worried about the, the tax impact. She's like, if I send her crypto, then there's, we, we, we both looked, this is one of the reasons why it took more reasons why it took so much time. Cause we both looked and it's like the, the laws for, is it a gift or not? You know, all this shit, it's just a fucking mess. So I, I think all this is, is super indicative of the fact that when you use these TradFi rails, it's almost like going back in time, man. It's like, I, I just feel like, like I've time traveled back 30 years or some shit. And it's just insane. And then, but the second thing is that what, what we really need to do is to continue building up our lobbying muscle. I, I hate K Street, but unfortunately, that's the current rules of the game. So we have yeah. to do it. K Street being the, the just, it's the physical street where many lobbyists are in Washington, D.C. Yeah. But anyway, just because just we have international users, listeners. So unfortunately, that's the current way the, the, it works, uh, you know, in the United States, at least, right? Being an American. And so we got to build up our muscles to, to play the, you know, to the extent that we can't change the rules of the game. We got to play by the current rules. We got to build up our muscles to do that. And we got to get all this stuff. We got to get people to make this, you know, yep. unfortunately, clearly they think of us as enemies half the time because they mostly because they're either older and too in bed with Wall Street. Frank, yeah. Yeah. Is my personal view to be quite more blunt about it than I probably should be, but that's my personal view. But look, you know, we, we, we have more power already than we realize. And I think we got to use it to make sure that these complexities go away. You know, it's not all about UI, UX. Sometimes it's about this legal and regulatory stuff. And, and yeah. that's going to be super important to enable us to, to, to grow to billions of users internationally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. At, oh, another question here from the crowd. Any view into quantum computing yourself? Any view on that? I, that I think may impact Web3? I, I think this is a, a, a few years out, even in the best case. But the most obvious impact for quantum computing is its impact on encryption. I'm sure that will be an enormous issue at one point. And but we're not super near that point yet. That's the most obvious implication. It's going to definitely have major impact on specific types of encryption. And but likely not as I, as I understand it. So, but then the, the second more interesting point is, and I, I think that's, I don't really think anyone's qualified to answer that yet, but, but I'm, I'm quite sure there are many unforeseen ways that such a transformative type of technology could change ultimately how we, how we use technology at the very base level. 
And that certainly will open up enormous opportunities and, and very much expand the, the space that is available to us, the design space. Yeah, I hear you. One additional question from the crowd. Any view on Africa? Africa, I, I, again, I view it as outside our wheelhouse. That's not my core competency, but my understanding is it's also an extremely young market, which is quite promising. There's a, a concept of leapfrog innovation, which could be very relative to Africa, which is it's possible to sometimes to, to skip steps and actually come out ahead of the game by immediately adopting the latest technologies. And, and certainly I, I think that's a possibility for Africa and the fact that it's it's such a young, energetic market could be super interesting, but you know, it's it's outside my wheelhouse. So it, that's not a, a super educated opinion. And, and of course, the most important thing is to realize that it's not one market. It's, it, it's composed of many different markets that are really quite uh, different from each other. Oh yeah, totally. Oh, it's, it's, you know, case in point, I spoke with two founders recently in, you know, going through the application period for, for our program. Yeah. And one was more in Western Africa and was talking about mining, was talking about the electrical grid, was talking about solar. And then I spoke yesterday with someone in South Africa who had already grown a, a pretty popular crypto investing app to a pretty nice monthly recurring revenue level within yeah. years. And is looking to now expand globally. And it's just, you know, two different yeah. stories, two different stories. Yeah. And like, let's try to bring more mining to, to Africa because we're, we're sending this mining revenue offshore to other yeah. places for people who are buying crypto in Africa. But someone else is, is already, you know, scaling a global business beyond that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Last question from me, and I'm going to get a bit, I don't know what word I want to use here, but a, a bit, a bit forward looking, right? So if oh, we're, if, we're lucky That's enough to, to have you working with us as a mentor on this program, yeah. Maddie. You know, let let's put you in into a scenario of all right. We've got a a Web three founder that is in the program, and we're going through this process of you know we call it mentor madness. We get everybody matched up, and then you put your hand up and you say, "Listen, I really like this founder. I want to work with him or her, and I'm going to you know be the lead mentor for them." Your conversation with them, they tell you that they're, they're running into a brick wall with their ideas about, hey, I'm building up a community here. And what do you say to a founder when they're thinking about what's the best way to start getting people behind their project, right? What do you say to them? I, I, internally, we refer to them as super fans. So I, I think about it like this. So most projects never get even one or two super fans. They get, you know, some users, but they never get people that are like, holy shit, fucking love this. I need it. And I want to tell people about it. They never really get even one super fan. But what I think is really true, and empirically it's true, is that if you get even one or two, there's a pretty good chance you can get 10 or 20. And if you get 10 or 20, there's a pretty good chance you can get 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000. But it's really hard to get even one or two. Like legitimate, not like your mom or whatever, <laughs> like legitimate people that know you from your product and they fucking love it. So you need to think about, don't think, when you start, don't think about how to get a million super fans. Think about how to get one or two. If you get one or two, I, I really believe you're going to get dozens and then you're, you're going to be on your way. Most people never get any that far. But, but start just thinking, how am I going to get a couple people that just fucking love my product and want to tell everyone about it? I, I, would, I would 
reframe it and think about it from that standpoint, rather than starting with how can I get millions of users? Yeah. You almost need to think about it like the, the whole talk about the creator economy, right? Which is, you know, get that first thousand fans. Yeah. yeah. Get, get your first one or two. But what are the things you do to go from one or two? If you were a musician, for example, you can get the users. You can, you need fucking super fans. That's yeah. what you really, think. oh yeah. Well, you know, those looking to get your autograph on, yeah. you know, your arm, whatever, right? Not <laughs> have the view of the product. I, I know, product. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, but it's kind of like, you know, try to draw the, this analogy here between the, the super fans of, of Rockstar oh, right. Gods, oh, right? And, and yeah. with you and your product at the earliest stages being so intertwined, yeah, yeah. right? And having that really killer, credible team that can do exactly. all this. So, it looks like from the crowd, we, uh, we, we've gone through their questions. So yeah. thank you everybody for submitting the questions. We appreciate yeah. that. Um, just one, one last heads up on the program. We are accepting applications now through December 22nd. I only started as lead on this program as MD back in the beginning of October and we had open applications in September. I want a little bit of extra time to open this up. Now that we're out talking to the whole world about this, we can, we can get a bunch of great companies in here. And we're going to be running the program for April, May, and June of 2022. Here, something I wanted to point out. Oh, I'm sorry, I got too excited. There have already been blockbuster crypto projects that have come out of TechStars. Our oh, yeah. was from TechStars Berlin. Yeah. So there have already been blockbuster crypto projects that have come out of TechStars. Our our oh, yeah. was from TechStars Berlin. Yeah. So. Yeah. So absolutely, are we? Chainalysis. Exactly. Right. right? Chainalysis, cool. unicorn right there. So this is about, like you said, and this is why I'm most excited about this, Maddie, is yeah. that it, for me, going through the 13 weeks and taking companies through these 13 yeah. weeks, that is just reward for all this hard work. But it's really after that 13 weeks are over, yeah. things have only just begun, right? Mm -hmm. It's in this for the long term. And that's what I love about it is that just building these relationships and, and helping people through, you know, so cool. I would like to say thank you to Maddie Graham from Sino Global Capital for joining us for this fireside chat today. Really appreciate it. It was awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thanks everyone. All right. Talk soon. That does it for this week, folks. A big thanks to Matty Graham for opening up his mind to help us figure out why he does what he does. Links to learn more about Matty and Sino Global Capital are on our website at moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from CreateSound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early-stage startup investor and advisor focused on crypto, blockchain, fintech, DeFi, and the bigger world of Web3. If you'd like to talk to me about your business, drop me a line on info at moneyneversleeps.ie. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya. Money never sleeps, pal.